The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You said what you're feeling is juicy joy, juicy joy. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Hey there, Do Joy listeners. I hope you've been singing yourself silly all this past week after our amazing singing party with Karen Drucker last episode. What fun that was. I want to thank you again, all of you who reach out to me about the home play and your experiences up-leveling your joy set points. That means so much to me to hear from you about that. And I'm so excited about the approach we'll be taking on that today. Y'all have heard me talk about the Consciousness and Human Evolution Conference that happened about a month ago. Well, one of the speakers there really touched my heart in a big way, and I've invited him to touch yours as well with his beautiful brand of wisdom. My Joy Schoolers will recognize a lot of common themes in the approach we'll be discussing, common to our Joy School practices, So hang on to your hearts, love bugs. This will be truly wonderful. Curtis Childs is here with me now to introduce you to the Swedenborg Foundation. Curtis has been interviewed on countless international radio shows, podcasts, YouTube shows. He's spoken at big deal conferences with thought leaders like Greg Braden and Bruce Lipton, like the one I just recently met him at. Welcome, Curtis, my precious new friend. Thanks, Lisa. I I love being here, and I really appreciate you taking the time to to let me be part of this. Oh my gosh, I was thrilled when you were um, a willing participant to share this with us. So maybe we should just start at the beginning and tell us about Swedenborg, the man, the legacy, the whole... Yeah, I I love doing that, so let's do it. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, Swedenborg has been an amazing source of spiritual... Uh, inspiration and hope and comfort has really been the thing that's allowed me to make sense of my life and get my sort of mental house in order and and pursue the kinds of joy that that everybody's looking for in their life. So I can't recommend Swedenborg's work enough to people. So I'm taking the time on the internet to try to get people to realize its value. Because so I'll give you a little bit of a background. Swedenborg is not the thing you would that it would immediately jump off the shelf at you uh, this is wow i need to have this in my life he's got a lot going against him he lived a long time ago he was in the publishing in the mid 1700s he's got a ton of books and they are long and they are dense and they have a lot of 
uh, Christian terminology in them, which is a plus for some, but not for everybody. They also have spiritual experiences in them, which is a plus for some and, and not for everybody. So I, I believe there's something in there that for everyone. And part of what I like to do is try to unpack that and find the, the sort of timeless wisdom that's in there. Swedenborg was a Renaissance person. He wasn't quite during the Renaissance, but he was doing everything. And you really could at, at that time in history do everything pretty well because things were not nearly as specialized and complex as they are today. But he was widely recognized as a lead, leading anatomist. He was uh, started the scientific branch of crystallography. He brought the first scientific journal to Sweden. He was also an engineer and an inventor. He was assessor of mines on the Swedish uh, for the Swedish mining industry, which was one of the most powerful industries and one of the most powerful countries in the world at that time. It was a big deal. He was in the Swedish House of Nobles. He worked worked for the royalty there. He was doing a lot of stuff, and he was really good at a lot of stuff. When he was in his mid-50s, he was keeping a travel journal and began recording his dreams in it. And you can see the progression. I, th I think Swedenborg is the longest-running account anywhere of spiritual experiences, recorded spiritual experiences. I, he had... 30 years of records of, of his experiences and was having these constantly. So he started to have more and more vivid dreams, which then be, he began to understand and interpret. And eventually they, they broke through into being what we'd now call spiritual experiences or spiritually transformative experiences or out-of-body experiences. There's many different labels we put on many different kinds of experiences. And Swedenborg had all those and had them for an, an amazing amount of time. So he, I find he's a really good complement to things like near-death experience research and any kind of many religious traditions I think also intersect with what he's talking about so he through these spiritual experiences he started to have he took his scientific mind and his, his way he's already used to observing the world and explaining it and categorizing things and creating a framework that was rational and understandable and he took that same methodology into his spiritual experiences so he was exploring the afterlife and cataloging not only what he saw but how everything works and how what we do here affects uh, you know our experience there he was doing the same thing about the nature of god and the same thing about the way the human mind works and how what we love drives who we are and i i've found there's a lot of places where he'll have congruencies and overlap with people but i've never found anything it's nearly as comprehensive as him. And there's so many fan fantastic insights in there that I haven't found anywhere else. So to me, it's been a huge tool with my own mental health. You know, I have struggled with depression and anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. And the picture he paints of reality makes me relax. Mm. And it makes me believe that, that life is really good and it answers a lot of questions uh, that I feel like I have and a lot of people have. So there is the short version of who's Swedenborg. That was perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I had not been aware of Swedenborg and I thought I was aware of everything. So I was really uh, intrigued and, and just on the edge of my seat when you were presenting at that conference. And I guess the, the parts that I think might be really relevant to the listeners that I'd love for you to follow up on are how we create heaven here on earth. What, what the difference is that, that we totally have this choice at every moment between being in heaven or hell right here, right now. Yeah, to, to Swedenborg, heaven and hell are, are fundamentally states of mind. He'll use those terms. His best-selling book is called Heaven and Hell, 
or that's the that's the modern English title. The Latin book he wrote in Latin. They always have these longer titles. I think it's Heaven and Its Wonders and Hell. But he he in some ways was fitting with the Christian framework there. You got an afterlife and heaven and hell. But what he meant by those words is is very different. Heaven and hell, like everything spiritual, are primarily states of mind. Physically, it's sort of outside in. It, what what determines how the physical world is? Why are we on planet Earth? Well, you could say it's because of gravity. Gravity is what's keeping us here. Why um, am, am I in the middle of my day right now rather than asleep? Well, because of where I am on the planet and where the sun is shining. Physical stuff dictates. The spiritual world is dictated by spiritual things. And to Swedenborg, uh, our thoughts and feelings, the, the conscious part of us, that is our spirit. That is spiritual. So there... The, the environment follows the emotions rather than the reverse, the emotions and thoughts rather than the reverse. So heaven and hell are primarily states of mind. And there's a couple of, he says it in a pithy way in a couple of different places. One of my favorite is that heaven is the joy you get out of doing something that benefits someone. So all states are really marked by the joy that they bring. So the, the feeling that you get when you know, I'm doing something useful i'm doing something helpful this is making something this is making things better for at least someone that that feeling is is the core of heaven and hell is the joy that you can get out of harming someone so mm -hmm. if you're i'm going to bully this person i'm going to get the last word in or if you look at extreme examples of dictators and things i'm going to rule over people and and try to subjugate everyone that state of mind is called hell and we can visit both of them in the course of a day and i do because there's times when i'm really feeling like yeah i get what life is all about and i i can sort of check my ego at the door and i can be thinking about how do i it doesn't even have to be oh i'll just look around for old ladies who need help across the street it can be at your like your job if, if I'm in a mood where I'm thinking, yeah, of course I'm making money there and you've got to do that to sustain your life. But if I'm really getting excited about the impact I'm having on the world through that, and I'm trying to do this justly and sincerely and fairly, that's, that's heaven. And that is a feeling that the joy that you can get from that, the satisfaction you can get from that, that can grow forever. That you can get more and more as you get d deeper into the, the, the joy in the good you're doing, you feel more and more of a team, a sense of camaraderie with the people you're doing it with, and and the more that you're accepting that the help that other people in the world are giving, you start to experience more and more of this heaven. Heaven is defined by the connection that's in it, whereas the hell state of mind is, it's just, there's me, everyone else is almost like a cartoon character compared to me. Like when I'm in that state of mind, this person is in front of me on the road. Well, they're just something that's in my way. I got to get around them. I don't, I'm not really thinking of them as a three dimensional human being like myself. And it's just, well, how do I beat this person? How do I win this very contracted non-communal state of mind? He, he likened, he said that the, the model of heaven, if you want to see a living model of heaven, just look at your body. The human body is a, a complete, what he would call, correspondence to heaven. So that means it's a physical example of a spiritual thing, which is heaven. And if you can understand that by thinking about the way that all the different parts in it are distinct, 
and yet work harmoniously together toward the same goal. Uh, what I mean, like you have a heart, and that heart is very different than your lungs, and but yet the heart doing its pumping thing and the lungs doing their breathing thing, they are working absolutely on the same goal, which is health or homeostasis in the body. Same thing with your liver. It's it's different, looks different, but it is doing something that it needs to do, and all of them completely rely on each other. The heart without the rib cage, nothing nothing good's going to happen there. Uh, you, if you have the lungs without the mouth, you're not going to be able to pull any air in. That is the the state of heaven as well. Even if you take it down to each little cell, every cell is giving everything it has to the common good, and receiving back everything it, it needs. A little cell in your pancreas doesn't need to go and think about how am I going to fight off pathogens. There's an immune system that takes care of that. It doesn't, how am I going to go out and get oxygen? There's a circulatory system that's going to bring that to them. So you're wearing, if you're ever trying to figure out what's, what is heaven, you're, you're wearing the model of heaven. We can all love each other and act together like the human body does. And the more we do that, the more it feels like heaven. Beautiful. Yeah, that dovetails with a lot of the Buddhist principles that we, we do in Joy School. I did a podcast a few months ago on Mudita, the Buddhist practice of relational joy or feeling the joy of others as our own joy. So this is like that, but taken to this extra level of not only do you find joy in others' happiness, but you find your own heaven by contributing to the happiness of others and to the, the good of the whole, not just recognizing and celebrating it, but actually being a contributory factor. I love that. And I love how yeah. you talked about how we see other people. I want to pull on that string a little bit more because you gave some really uh, fun examples at uh, the conference. I love the one about being in traffic that we all think that, you know, we complain that we're in traffic when actually we are traffic. <laughs> we don't recognize <laughs> that we, we are the traffic for the guy behind us. And you said that people are either decorations or obstacles or rivals. And this is just what happens when we fail to take into account that this is an entire conscious being in front of me in line or over there annoying me yeah it's because the when you're not in the heaven state of mind you're pretty much asleep to reality think about yes when you're in line at the grocery store you're thinking ah this is annoying that there are three people in front of me hey that guy kind of looks funny what's wrong with it if let's say you came into a grocery store and it was somebody you knew really well in line. You'd say, hey, it's you, you're here. Because you know them. If you knew those other people, you'd be acting the same way there. And somebody is sitting behind you in the line, looking at you, saying, why are you in front of me? So it's crazy the way that we default to thinking about other people. Mm -hmm. Every person is, as you said, an opportunity to feel their joy as your joy. Swedenborg has a quote that's, just about exactly the same thing. He says, to feel the joy of someone else as joy in yourself, that is loving. Yeah. So that, and that loving, um, that loving way of being where your default when you walk into a room is, hmm, how can I g give these people joy? Mm. That, is, that is actually the natural state of being for a human being. So to see somebody as something that's in your way or something that you're competing with, is an is really an uh, sort of a foreign state to us that we need that if we get all the way spiritually grown you know go through our spiritual growth you get to a point where your knee-jerk reaction is one of of kindness and 
con fully considering them as, as important as you consider yourself. So the, in the conference, I was just trying to give some little tips and tools about how to do that based on the way that Swedenborg says um, angels are. And when Swedenborg uses the term angel, he doesn't mean that this is, again, it's like a Christian term, but he has a different definition for it. It doesn't mean that this is some category of being that is uh, was born in heaven and that's where they live. It's, it's us. Anybody who gets to that state of love for everyone, he would call that an angel. And so in his experiences, he could talk to people who are in this really evolved state and notice how they thought about each other and how they treated each other. And so the, the principles that I talked about at, at TCCAG were all drawn out of his interactions with angels. And so they, they were three of them, and they're meant to be little tools you can just hardwire into yourself so that it will snap you out of your uh, default egoic reaction to people. And the first one is that whenever you encounter someone, just try to say in your mind, uh, I want this person to be happier than I am in a good way. And happier than you are because even though realistically while we're in the earth plane, you probably only could get to the point where you want someone to be as happy as you. But the, when you go farther into this angelic joy, it actually gets to where it's more exciting to you when somebody else gets something good than, than even for yourself. So you say, I want them to be happier than I am. And I tack that in a good way on the end there because we have to, it's got to be real happiness you're wishing on this person. It's not just the equivalent of, oh, I, I hope this little kid gets a ton of sugar because that's not going to, that's not, you can't make, build a happy life on that. They're going to crash in 10 minutes and their parents are going to pay the price. So that, that's the first one. I want this person to be happier than I am and in a good way, in real happiness. If the person, the second uh, little, uh, the second mantra, if you will, is if, if the person is doing something that's difficult for you that you don't like, or they're displaying some characteristic that you don't, that you don't like, it's, it's bad. You think like they're, they're being bad in some way. You separate out that, just try to, in your mind, separate the behavior from the person. So if that person is being rude, it's always some, you just had a rude interaction with someone, you say to yourself, that person is not their rudeness. Swedenborg was was adamant that you know we, we are we have you know there's I talk about the heaven state of mind and the hell state of mind and if you think about everybody who's going for the heaven state of mind together as heaven and everyone who's going for the hell state of mind together as hell both of those are kind of on your shoulder all the time like heaven is collectively trying to push you toward what's good and true hell is trying to push you toward what's evil and false and limited so anybody who's like if somebody's rude that's like sure they they shouldn't have done that and we try to encourage people not to, but ultimately they were kind of tricked into it uh, by, by by hell, if you will. So to, for me to say that person is not their rudeness. I've had plenty of times when I was when I lost it and, and was rude, and so I can picture maybe what would they be like without that rudeness. That it's something that's not inextricable from their character, mm. and that makes a big difference because that's really looking from love is curiously Swedenborg says that the more and more angelic and loving you get, the less judgmental you are of other people, which you could kind of think that the more holy and sanctimonious you are, the more you're noticing, well, you're not behaving <laughs> yeah. how you should. But he says that it's actually people in the heaven state of mind are eager to only focus on the good things about people and put a good interpretation on anything negative. So that mm -hmm. the more I can say, well, and in fact, that they look at negative traits as 
just at the traits and not at the person. So they would instead talk about if someone was rude to them, they'd be thinking about rudeness and the harm that rudeness causes rather than trashing that person in their mind. So that's the second one. And then the third is saying to yourself, either before or after your interaction with the person, this person has a future. Because mm-hmm. I, I always think about my future because I'm really real to myself. But if I, I go and interact with someone, I don't, I'm not thinking about who they're going to be in 10 years from now. And I can't know, but just introducing that idea into my mind. That this person, this is just a chapter in their life. It makes you just hold them a little more carefully. And Swedenborg has this really inspiring picture of how much divine care there is for each person's life and how we're on this trajectory to continue to, to grow and, and be better and better and and more and more angelic forever. So that this this person that maybe you're seeing them at a low point, they're, uh, hopefully they're headed really great places. And remembering that helps you see them more as, again, a real human being. So all of this is just to get us to remember that other people are people. And that necessarily brings you into a little bit of the heaven state. That's a great trick. No, those are three really powerful principles. I love that. I'm gonna pull the threads on a couple of them now because Yes, I think thinking about that this person has a future puts a lot more complexity in there, lets us see them as a human being. But also, I think you talked about the past that led them to this point. We call it bucket beliefs in joy school. Sometimes we use like our Tolle's terminology of the pain body or the Sanskrit word samskaras, those energetic wounds that we carry around. I think you use David Kessler's term of capture. And an understanding that these people who are not able to be walking heaven on earth it's because of this capture, I think goes a long way um, towards seeing them in that light. Explain capture. There, There's a, evidence on all levels that the negativity people express, they are in some ways also victimized by. So capture is this research that was done that shows exactly how negative impulses express themselves through people and there's this sequence that it goes through what says there's there's a stimulus there's an urge it's just a very much uh, a very difficult internal thing to resist and this can get wired into somebody in, in any number of ways and there's while you don't want to excuse people and say they don't they, they shouldn't try to improve their own actions to a large extent they're they're trapped in those emotions and in those actions and that um gives you a little more um, peer-reviewed backing to this idea that you can separate out the behavior from the person. What would they be like if they weren't captured? When somebody's captured, that's different than thinking of they're your enemy. If they're captured, you got to rescue them. And I'm not trying to say that you can't set boundaries with people. And I'm not trying to say that you can't protect yourself. And it doesn't mean in that moment you're going to run up and hug somebody who's, who's being dangerous in some way. But it's about your, your ultimate beliefs about that person and your long-term intention and your long-term care. Do you recognize that this person is worth saving no matter what? That's, that's what I think Capture is about. And then Swedenborg adds this extra layer on, which, as I said, is the, the influence of heaven and hell on our positive and negative states of mind. So that person is spiritually captured as well. That there's, there's sort of this – it's kind of like when you – Go If you go on social media, let's say you're on YouTube, which is where I'm doing a lot of my work, 
if you go on your personal YouTube account and search for something, let's say I need to figure out how to repair my lawnmower. The next time you log on, oh, you're going to see a bunch of lawnmower videos. That's going to be all up and down your feet. Uh-huh. Because it thinks, oh, you love lawnmowers. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I just need to I try to fix one thing. That's kind of like the, how it is with the spiritual world. That that the if you get into something that's heavenly, which means it's you're enjoying something that helps someone, or that's hellish, which means you enjoy something that's harming someone, but that whichever side you went with is going to try to press in more. And like, oh, you're into that. We're into that. Let's do it more. And and that would be expressed through you have a tendency to an urge to do it again. You have a tendency to do it again. So it's it's really this. There's a spiritual capture there as well. There is an agenda that those that positivity and negativity have to get you to to be one of them, to to join with them in whatever way. So it's another way in which you can say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to help rescue that person from that particular spiritual capture that they're in as well. Some of us call it the law of attraction, that whatever we put our attention on is going to grow in our lives vibrationally. We're going to just attract more and more of it. So I love the social media example. Everybody can relate to that. That's great. (laughs) So every week, Curtis, I give the listeners a home play assignment, something they can just take into their week to focus on that's going to up-level their vibration. And then the accumulation of doing these weekly practices upgrades their joy set point, that resting place that we all come to with our emotional state. So I was thinking that a really amazing high-level home play exercise would be your practice around bringing this challenging person to mind, acknowledging whatever trait is making them challenging, that person is not that trait, so getting some separation in there and then stripping them of the trait in your imagination. And I think you said to hold them there for a minute. Would you take us through that exercise and then listen up, y'all, because this is your home play. So listen to what Chris is going to give you here. Because I can say this person is not their their negative attribute but it's just an empty phrase until we picture what that could mean so what i did at the conference was i said just take a minute and imagine that and and how i would do that is imagine the person that that's challenging you and imagine them as much them as you can bring to mind but they had been freed of that so let's say that they're rude, you, somebody was rude to you, imagine them, one way you could do it is imagine them acting really politely. And just think of, oh yeah, that that's, then it just reminds you that that can happen. Like you could imagine that person with the opposite trait to that. Another thing you can do is imagine them coming to a realization of the harm they caused through that negative behavior and just on their facial expression, the regret, guilt in some way that they that they're sorry or they're repentant which is what we that's the state we all get in when we realize there's something wrong and we and we want to be good so you can imagine them like that you could imagine that that um you could also imagine them in capture so you could imagine sort of some like dark cloud of negativity that's egging them on to do that or you could imagine things from their life previously that got them into that captured state any of those, whichever one comes easiest to you, will work because it gets you to think about the person and the negative attribute as these two separate characters. So just take a little time, see if you can't focus on that, and hopefully that leads you to the end with a, a new thought about the possibility of that person existing as free from that. 
Right. And we do that for ourselves as much as the other person, right? That lets us live in heaven because we're not having that resentment, that negativity toward this person. And it's it's opening up the, the energetic opportunity for them to fulfill what we're seeing them as, right? And we practice yes. it when we're not in the moment so that it becomes more natural when we're out there doing life. Whatever we don't like about someone, we try to get more automatic about recognizing it's not who they are, just a samskara they picked up somewhere along the way. And, um, and so this is your home play. Try to pick someone who's challenging for you and, you know, maybe don't go to the absolute limit on that unless you feel up to it. Maybe work up to the most challenging person. I think it's most powerful if it's someone in your life, but if you don't have anybody in your life, good on you. Maybe then you go to that next level of maybe someone you've observed in the media or something like that. Yep. Yep. And I would even add to what you just said that the, uh, I wouldn't start doing it in the moment, but that, that's tough. It's too hard. <laughs> in, in the moment, I, I, I don't think you're going to see me walk around. And if somebody like pushes me, I'm whoa, I love you anyway. That you got to, in the, the moment, is there's too many unknowns. Like, how much do I have to protect myself? Is this person really a danger? I, I would see this really po- being potent when you're in your replay mode. Mm-hmm. Where you're 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 at home, the moment's passed, and you're safe, but you're still stewing over this, and it's destroying your happiness and destroying your your potential to ever have a positive relationship w- with that person. Should it be? I'm not saying that everything's always going to get, uh, you know, kumbaya to a point where you're back hanging out with that person. There's there's individuals that might not be safe for you to be around, but that doesn't mean that you, there can't be a change in our ultimate beliefs about that person and about the situation. So I really think that's where the the potency of practice comes in is when we're we're ruminating and when we're going when we're in a safe place. That Swedenborg is clear that the external actions aren't really what we're trying to change that much because you can if if you're trying to protect yourself or someone you love, you can if you have to get in somebody's face, maybe you do. If you have to Take, he even talks in his books about you, you can be taking legal action against somebody if you have to. That can still be coming from love. It, what really makes it love or not love is what's your beliefs about that person and what's your ultimate intent. If, I, if I'm saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this person's life and I don't care what happens to them afterwards because I'm angry, that's, that doesn't sound like heaven. But if you're saying, "Wow, I've really got to, I've really got to press charges because uh, I'm in danger if I don't," but I'm I'm cognizant that this this isn't who they are deep down. I'm hoping that what I'm doing is going to lead to a wake up call for them and and protect the rest of society. And even if I I maybe never see myself hanging out with that person, I, I'm hoping that they they get reformed and they end up with a happy life and ultimately imagine them in the angelic state after all the growth they need. So I think that's where you could really apply. And and who knows, maybe you get to that point where for littler things. You have it right there in the moment and good on you if you do that's beautiful thank you and i love um at one point you also separated out that the behavior itself could be seen as a whole separate player in the scenario you gave an example of a, a boss chastising an employee where there's actually not a perpetrator and a victim but two victims with the anger being its own player right the anger being the the perpetrator yes i we don't we tend to focus on the victim of the negative behavior which is rightly so you got to you got to support those people you have to protect them they need uh, you know recompense but yeah the person who the anger is coming through if you realize that they are not that anger and you can separate it that they're being victimized as well 
and because anger is, as we said, it's capturing them, it's pressing, and it's trying to get released. And there's a couple of ways that they're being harmed by that. One is it may be that they're afterwards they're suffering the social consequences of that, that they're embarrassed, that they end up getting fired or something. But if they're not, let's say that they they're relatively cruel and and they don't care, that anger is destroying in them their ability to see other people as an opportunity for love and that is leading them away from this heaven that we've been talking about and the only real lasting peaceful happiness is in this heaven state of mind the only way you are going to find profound true happiness is in the sharing of love and in the 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 human body of community so this person even though they might be getting some kind of temporary thrill from oh, I feel like I'm powerful when I'm doing this it is leading them to a life that is always going to have major crashes in it and is never going to really be fulfilling and it's going to degrade as they more and more destroy their own relationships and they, they, they don't have the success they used to have to kind of bolster it's not long term they're poisoning themselves through that or they're being poisoned through that and they and they can't even tell so while I get it it can be we can feel this zeal for this I can't believe they did that they, they, this is wrong. I'm not going to feel sorry for them right now. And you don't even have to every moment. But ultimately, when we step back, we can see that in the end, they're losing. They're losing from this. And as a society, we can kind of see, well, is there any way that we can try to help this person from, from whatever distance is safe? Right. And anger, chemicals in the brain are addictive. It, it becomes an addictive cycle. So then we can see them even more in capture when we take that into account. And you've talked about how we're also self-sorting. So people who have that addiction to those chemicals and are going to be um, continuing to exhibit that behavior are going to wind up in the world with other people like that living in hell, whereas those who are more committed to this path of living in heaven that you outline will also self-sort and find themselves in community and will thereby create literal physical space of heaven and hell. That That is heaven. If you've ever been around people that you trust, you, you know they have, a, they, they have good intentions and you're working together with them on something, that is awesome. That feels incredible. And the, the more that you get into some kind of cool project with them or you're trying to change the world together or you're, or you're in a family together, whatever it is, it's not a stretch to, to say, oh, that's heaven. That, that's heaven right there. And, and even seeing it in people, when, when I see somebody who's genuinely motivated by a desire to help people, it's just, it's just beautiful to observe. And so heaven is just more and more that surrounding by that beauty and the, the, the ability of us when we're in a, a group people like that to step out out of cynicism and fear because we're we're in this heavenly state it just it compounds the more and more that people with heaven inside them are getting together the more that makes heaven for the whole swedenborg talks about how in in the afterlife there's a, there's even a uh, a much more tangible way ability to share feelings that you can really directly spirit to spirit even pass happiness one person to another and the nature of heaven is that the everyone in that state of mind wants to share all their joy with everyone else so you're getting so much joy from everyone and the more that you share actually the more that gets generated in you so it's this positive feedback loop of happiness 
Absolutely. And Joyce, we call it love cells. It's so important to feed yourself with your love cell. And I know you spoke recently in an event that I would have been in attendance at if I hadn't had pride events that day about how this is almost in vogue, right? That the, the whole spiritual world is making a comeback. Yes. Um, right now, you can kind of tell that there's a spiritual world, but you kind of can't. I mean, right. you, people have to go and listen to podcasts to try to learn about how to be spiritual. There are people who read their sacred texts, or some people are having direct experiences, but it's it's a lot, but it's it's not the norm. And when somebody you love dies, you, you think their spirit's living on, and you're really hoping for it, but you kind of wish you had a sign, and, and it's devastating to go through. This is not how life is supposed to be. The, the the default as I said like the default of the, the the true human nature is to love other people and, and find joy in their happiness the, the how how the human mind is supposed to be is we're supposed to really kind of be dual citizens of the physical and spiritual world uh, according to Swedenborg back in the in humanity's distant past this was the norm for everyone rather than needing to go to uh, religious texts there was you would have dreams where you're directly interacting with, you know, loved ones who have deceased with God, and you, you're seeing that direct connection through nature. You're having spiritual experiences. This was it was the norm for everyone, and Swedenborg believed that that the connection between the two worlds can get um, can get compromised when a lot of people are choosing hellish motivations and thoughts just like you can pollute the physical environment to the point where it used to be you could just go and drink out of any stream anywhere and you'd be fine and now i i don't there's barely any streams you can drink out of just because everything's polluted everything's polluted so so it is with the the connection between the physical and spiritual worlds but swedenborg believed that there was some around his time there was this major kind of clarification and ordering happening of the spiritual world that he said Whenever something changes in the spiritual world, that that has an impact on our consciousness. That we can think more freely about things now than we used to be able to think. We can grasp spiritual truths more clearly, and because we can do that, our minds are becoming more like angelic minds, and so that brings us spiritually closer to people who are on the other side who think spiritually now. And all that leads to I, I gave a presentation that was called "The Spiritual World Is Making a Comeback." that we are Swedenborg was was sure that we're headed toward this new era of renewed connection between the physical and spiritual worlds back to the way that life was supposed to be when there was direct communication and everything physical that we interact with is alive with sort of spiritual energy and reminds us of spiritual truths that there's just not this hard break like there is right now and nobody would be so kind of scrolling through podcasts trying to figure out like is there is it really spirit or, or is this all there is or you know that, that that would be something that everybody knew from from direct experience and and just be in their heart yeah i've heard it surmised that those of us who are in this industry this new thought practitioner sort of world it's because that that realization is awakened in us we we feel the truth of it there's something so visceral about hearing the the kind of information you've been sharing here and knowing deep down yes this is actually what's real in the world and then part of the the crazy division that's so um up so so 
across the board up right now is, is just about that there's there are those who haven't had that visceral experience yet, who haven't felt it, and they're longing for it, but they haven't felt it. And I'm, I mean, it's my definite belief and hope that it's more and more leaning toward people who are waking up to these truths because it's just inside all of us. And some of us get so captured in, in the good way by that, that that's just all we can do is talk about it and try to try to bring light to that and, and help, um, you know, help to raise awareness of these truths. Yeah, that's very well said. And Swedenborg called it perception. When when you can just tell when you hear something spiritual and you can tell that, that that's true. Mm-hmm. That's perception. And it used to be people used to all have perception that you could just tell when something's true. It's funny. Like I said he gives these these sort of updated definitions of Christian terms. I was just looking at how he defines faith. And usually you'll hear people say faith is, is what sort of believing in something that that's hard to believe in or or it's a specific um, acceptance of certain Christian doctrines, but he described faith as a longing for and a recognition of the truth. Mm. So the faith is like the passion that is driving you to seek. And it's also the thing that when you really, when you really are longing for something, you recognize it when you find it. I'm going to be giving a talk this weekend where I'm going to give the example of Archimedes, who is the guy who is it, according to legend, coined the term Eureka. I mean, it's a Greek <laughs> word that means I have it or I found it. But this, the story is that he was supposed to, uh, there was a king who had a crown made for him. And he'd given the blacksmith a bar of gold and said, can you make me a crown out of this? And so the blacksmith brought him back a crown, but the king thought, I think the blacksmith like took some of this gold and just stuck some silver in this crown. But I don't know, they didn't have labs back then. How do I know? if this is genuine or not. And he knew Archimedes was this mathematician and scientist. And he said, Archimedes, I need you to solve this for me. And so obviously there's a ton of incentive for Archimedes to do that. You don't want to displease the king. And so Archimedes was trying to figure that out. And he was doing everything in his power for days to try to figure it out. And he was exhausted and said, I'm just gonna take a bath. And he noticed as he got in that the water level went up when his body went in. And that was when he discovered this principle of displacement. And he knew because it had to do with his own mass that he could do the same thing with the crown to figure out if it was all the way gold or not. And he was so excited that he just ran right out of the bath, uh, running through this, the streets yelling, Eureka, Eureka, I have it, I have it. And that, because that's not the same, that generally faith would be more preoccupied with things of a, a spiritual nature than you know trying to, trying to solve a math problem for a, a king's jewelry, but there is, I think, a cool illustration there of the longing for and the re, um, recognition of it. Because he knew enough, he didn't know what he was looking for, but he knew enough that, and he wanted enough that when he saw the water rise, he knew, I have it. That is the answer. So I think that's why we, we build up these parts of our spiritual minds. We, we go in, we learn these truths, and they give us the beginning of a framework. And then when there's something new that fits in there, we can tell, oh, I that's it eureka that's it and it all it, that we're kind of building only works if primarily it's love that's driving the faith journey that you can't be saying i want to accumulate spiritual or religious seeming ideas so that i can use them against people further my own reputation whatever it is it has to be something that you could really call faith by swedenborgian standards has to begin in a desire to do something good 
And then from that, that desire to do goodness, it longs for the accompanying information that will allow it to do that. So that it's really that the desire to make the world a better place pushes us to find out what are the really important truths about how life works that are going to allow us to then teach people that or, or go out and affect it in the world. And so that's kind of the faith journey. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, that is, I feel that. I feel that. And, you know, we say sometimes uh, we all want those ahas, those eureka moments. We want to have that light bulb go off and have that insight. And yet the the real trick is then taking that and bringing it into our day-to-day lives, having it be a, a sustained aha, not just a, something that we enjoy like a bit of candy for a moment and then forget about. So to that end, I want to make sure that everyone knows about Off the Left Eye and the work that you do on YouTube. And tell us about this uh, presentation this weekend, because I know people will want to follow up with that, hopefully. Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to air before then. Sorry. But tell okay. us about Off the Left Eye. <laughs> sure. Um, so I have a, you, I'm fronting a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Off the Left Eye. And that name, Off the Left Eye, comes out of one of Swedenborg's spiritual experiences, where he says it seemed like a covering was peeled off of his left eye, which gave him the use of spiritual sight. Because to him, he was, before his spiritual awakening, he was an anatomist. And that knowledge carried through, and he saw that every part of the human body, like I said, it's the model of heaven. So every part of the human body has a correspondence or a representation of something spiritual. So the left eye being like the use of your intellect because the left was the intellectual side, which he was pointing out well before people knew about the hemispheres of the brain and everything like that. So youtube.com slash off the left eye. We have more than a thousand videos in there uh, following all the different areas of life that Swedenborg comments on, and it really presents a, a full comprehensive worldview that I find to be incredibly uplifting. We have a couple of playlists on the major topics that he touches so once you get there you should be able to navigate around okay but yeah we have just um all the material you could hope for if you're looking to get a start on that and we're going to be putting out new episodes all the time so yeah, come and come and check us out human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Awesome. And you have uh, online workshops or events or classes from time to time too as well. That's right. Yeah, we just just finished up uh, what's called the Off the Left Eye Experience for this year, but we also do regional events uh, where we go and meet people and, and give a little courses and things. So if you're interested, you can sign up uh, for, our, for our email list and we'll keep you updated on all those things and, and the new initiatives that we start up. I didn't realize it was an annual experience that I just missed. Now I'm even more disappointed because I would have been there if I didn't have other <laughs> obligations this, that, that past weekend. Well, Curtis, is there anything that you want to just leave the listeners with? This has been so rich and full and their home play is going to do amazing things. I can't wait to hear from you all when you do this home play. I want to say thanks again for having me. Uh, It was great to meet you at the conference and then really great to get to talk with you more at length here. Thanks to all your listeners and to you for 
trying to make the world a better place. And I'm glad that our paths got the cross here and, and I hope that home play goes well and I hope that you keep on bringing joy into the world. You too. Thank you so much. Have a great week, y'all. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. I'll see you next week for Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Much love. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.